Today we are concluding our summer series that we entitled Church Matters. And we have heard from so many of you in regards to how encouraging and informative and challenging this series has been. And that's always good to hear. At the beginning of our series back in May, uh, we shared three guiding thoughts on why the church matters that we've continued to unpack over uh, the summer as we've covered different topics regarding the local church, including church here at Fellowship Greenville. I wanted to go back over those three thoughts once again as we conclude today. Here's what they were. The first was this, the church matters because the church matters to Jesus. Jesus is the architect and builder of his church. He died and rose from the dead to bring his church into existence. And he promises to preserve and protect his church until the day he comes back for us. The second thought was this, the church matters because by its very nature and definition, it is unique from personal worship and other forms of Christian gatherings. And the third, we talked about this, the church matters because you can experience God in a regular local gathering of his people in ways that's impossible anywhere else. And from those three points, we've jumped around and talked about the joy and hope found in corporate worship, the necessity of our spiritual formation, church membership and the beauty of belonging, serving one another with no expectation of return, what healthy, humble, biblical leadership should look like in the local church, the uniqueness of our spirit giftedness for the building up of the body, that how we steward everything, every aspect of our life can put the beauty of the gospel on display, the value and importance of preaching the word when we do gather together, the proclamation of believers' baptism, that the next generation is the church of right now with all of us and should be valued as such, not simply the church of tomorrow. And that the way of Jesus, as Charlie talked about last week, the way of Jesus should be our way. And that leads us to today where I'm concluding with the topic that is slash was church planting. Let me explain, maybe I can say it this way. A church that matters is a church committed to reproducing. I've been praying for a few weeks about this message and those of you that know me, you know that I love church planting. I've talked about it and I've taught on it a good bit. Church planting has had a shaping influence on my life, but as I prayed about today, I didn't sense from the spirit that I was supposed to teach in such a way as to try to convince any of you of the need for church planting or even give a biblical exegesis for church planting, although I've done that a good bit in my past. And yes, Jesus' call in the Great Commission to disciple and baptize, it does imply belonging to a community of believers. And when you read about the early church in Acts, it's clear that baptism meant being incorporated to a body of believers. And in that body of believers, there was accountability, there were boundaries. And Charlie and I both talked about how the Apostle Paul's gospel saturation strategy was all about planting churches in cities. It's what Paul did, preach the gospel, plant churches, appoint elders, and he's off to the next thing. 
Along with that, there are numerous studies that show church planting effectively reaches new generations and new residents and new people groups. Church planting is the best way to reach the unchurched. That's proven over and over again. Study after study now tells us that. But as I prayed, I sensed today I was to take a few minutes and remind us of what, or better said, who, sits at the forefront of not only our desire to multiply healthy churches that have our DNA through church planting and church revitalization, but is actually central to everything that we have talked about this summer in this sermon series. As I said earlier, the church matters because the church matters to Jesus, and at the same time, a church that truly matters in its geography is a church that orients itself around this all-encompassing thought. Jesus is the one who matters. So that's what I believe I'm supposed to say this morning, to remind us that we will be a church that matters as we continue to live and love and lead from a place that Jesus is the one who matters. The call to be the church with this as our focus, that's not, it's not unique to us. It's always been the call of the church. And the church has not always answered that call perfectly, that's for sure. The early church, as you study in Acts, it grew, it was a unmatched movement because they oriented all of their lives around Jesus is the one who matters. And how could they not based off of what they had seen, right? It's a review for some of you, but as many of you know, 2000 years ago, something took place that changed everything. And that was the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And a friendly pastoral reminder, the reality of the resurrection is not just a yearly holiday in the spring where we get some pics for social media with our family and have a church service that's packed out and good lunch. No, the reality of the resurrection launched a group of people to live on mission with a message. That Jesus is the son of the living God and he made a relationship with the God of the universe possible for all of mankind. And there was this group of people back in the day who determined this message, the message of the resurrected Jesus, because they had seen it with their own eyes, that that was gonna be the message that they would give their lives to. Sharing and showing how Jesus changes everything, that he is the only one who matters. And this small group of people with love and boldness began telling anyone and everyone about the resurrected Jesus. And on opening day, so to speak, of the church, 3,000 people were added to their number. Added to the first handful of Christ followers and they were baptized and the church grew. A church that mattered because Jesus was the one that mattered to them. And then shortly thereafter, another 2,000 people believed in Jesus, we're told in Acts 4. So in no time flat, the church has grown to about 5,000 people. And Charlie and I have referenced Acts 4 a few times in this series where we see the church being the church in regards to how they treat and interact with one another. Can I, I just wanna read these verses to you from Acts 4.32 to remind you since we've referenced them a few times. Verse 32 says, all the believers were united in heart and mind and they felt that what they owned was not their own. 
So they shared everything they had. The apostles testified powerfully to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. There it is. That's what they were talking about. And God's great blessing or God's great grace was upon them all. And there were no needy people among them because those who owned land or houses, they would sell it and they would bring the money to the apostles and they would give to those in need. And such a great passage, it's such an encouraging passage. And some of you who say, man, I wish we went back to the early church. You're probably thinking of this kind of passage. Oh, how great is this? But before those verses and after those verses, we read of something that was essential to the church being a church that mattered, and that is this. They had unbelievable boldness. If you look up the definition of bold, you will read, fearless before danger. They were bold about Jesus because Jesus is the one who mattered most to them. And if you look earlier in Acts 4, before the passage I just read, your Bible's heading might even say before verse 13, the boldness of the disciples. And you're heading before verse 23, it might read prayer for boldness. And that's the first recorded prayer of the early church. And I just wanna read a couple of verses from that prayer. It says this in chapter four, verse 29. And now, O Lord, hear their hearts and give us your servants great boldness in preaching your word. Stretch out your hand with healing power. May miraculous signs and wonders be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. You see, the early church was known for being bold about the resurrected Jesus, and they were threatened to stop talking about the resurrected Jesus because the authoritative power players of the day were trying to keep the peace between the Romans and the Jewish people. But instead of being quiet about the resurrected Jesus, they prayed for more boldness to talk about the resurrected Jesus. Because Jesus is the one who mattered. And as a result, the church mattered. It was exploding, growing. It was a movement. It was a movement with a message, and the message was this. I said it, I'll say it again. Jesus makes a relationship with God possible for anyone and everyone, and that is the message that they wanted to share. And the early church, the local church, was known for thinking of others more than themselves. And they were known for being gracious and treating people with love and kindness. Even the people who didn't agree with them they suffered with grace. And we're told even amongst people who didn't agree with them, they had favor in their communities and culture because there was something different about them. And the difference was this. We have seen the resurrected Jesus. And Jesus is the one who matters. And as a result, the church mattered. Boldness they prayed for, boldness they would need. I wanna look what happened shortly after their prayer for boldness. If you turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter five and verse 26, I'm gonna pick up there momentarily, but as you turn there, let me give you a little bit more for context sake of what's been taking place here with the early church earlier in Acts five. Um, I'll say it this way, word was out about the miraculous healings that were taking place through the apostles. They had prayed, I just read the prayer, 
And so people are getting healed. People are bringing the lame and the sick and the demon possessed. Everyone's getting healed. People from the, it says the people from the surrounding communities were showing up. And as a result of all of this taking place, um, the Sadducees, who were some of the religious leaders of the day, and again, everyone's trying to manage the balance of power between Rome and the Jews. Things are pretty tense. And in the midst of the tension is this movement that is the early church. And the early church mattered because Jesus mattered to them. And the religious of the day, the religious leaders of the day weren't fans, I'll say it that way, of the apostles. See, no one was going to check out the religious leaders in such a way as they were going to check out what the apostles were doing because the apostles were the ones that were healing everybody. They were where it was at, so to speak. They were the hot ticket. They were the must-see. They are where the action was. And we're told here in Acts 5 that the religious leaders, the Sadducees, they were jealous. And that jealousy led to all of the apostles being arrested. If you read at the beginning of chapter 4, it's uh, Peter and John that are brought in. But now let's just, let's just arrest all of them. That'll stop whatever this movement is. At least that's what they were thinking. And we were told, it's pretty interesting, we're told that they were placed overnight in the city jail, all the apostles. And in the middle of the night, an angel comes and lets them out of jail. So good. Fun fact and a little divine humor. One of the markers of the Sadducees, like one of their tenets, one of the things that they held to is that they did not believe in angels. So God has a, the best sense of humor. God, God does have a good sense. God's got the best sense of humor. God's the best. So God's got the best sense of humor. So I imagine the conversation between him and one of his angels went like this. Hey, Larry, because obviously there's an angel named Larry. It's in the message. I think I read it. Anyway, the apostles are in jail. And Larry is like, oh, who arrested him? You won't believe it. It's the Sadducees. Classic. Go get them out. And I'm gonna make sure it's documented for all time so that people get a good chuckle at the irony every time they read the story. So the angel shows up, lets them out of jail and tells them, go preach. Look at verse 20. If you have your Bibles already open to Acts 5, the angel says, go to the temple and give the people this message of life, exclamation point. So at daybreak, the apostles entered the temple as they were told and immediately began teaching. The angel shows up and says, keep telling them about the resurrected Jesus. And so they do. Did you see when? At daybreak, as soon as the sun came up. Not after lunch. Not after some rest and relaxation. Not after reevaluating whether being bold about the resurrected Jesus was wise or worth it. That morning, after being let out, they're boldly proclaiming. In the Greek, the language here to keep giving the message of life that he, the angel shares with him carries the idea of dogged steadfastness. Such an incredible story. While the apostles are out being bold, the religious leaders are ready to meet with them to bring a stop to this movement. So they send some servants to bring the apostles to them from the jail. And that's when everyone realizes the apostles are not in jail, but instead they're out telling others about Jesus. So the leaders tell the guards to go get them and bring them. But there's so many people around the apostles listening to them that the guards are scared of what the crowd might do. 
if they rearrest them. So they don't wanna do this forcefully. So that's a pretty interesting scene as they kind of come up in the midst of the crowd and go, hey, uh, I see that you guys are out. The Bible's great, there's some, there's some good stuff in there. See, you guys are out, not exactly sure yet about how all that happened, but uh, the religious leaders are wondering if you, you wanna go ahead and come back in. Do you mind, like, would you go ahead and like, you know, just go ahead and like rearrest yourself? Can you do that for us? Because we're gonna get taken out here if we try to take you in right now. And that's where we pick up everything that transpires here in chapter five, verse 26. Because the apostles went with them. The captain went with his temple guards and arrested the apostles, but without violence, for they were afraid the people would stone them. Verse 27 says, then they brought the apostles before the high council, so the, the lawyers of the day, where the high priest, head honcho, confronted them. Verse 28, we gave you strict orders never again to teach in this man's name, he said. Did you see that? The high priest doesn't even wanna say Jesus' name. He just says, this man. It's one of the things I love about Jesus. You've heard us talk about it before here at Fellowship Greenville. He's always making you do something with him. Make him king of your life or tell him to get lost. The one thing that Jesus doesn't allow you to do is look at him and go, eh, I'm all right with you. Jesus is always making people decide what they're gonna do with him. Instead, you have filled all of Jerusalem with your teaching about him. And you wanna make us responsible for his death? Now, again, as a reminder, uh, this interaction here is shortly after the resurrection. What I mean by that is it's not decades later, years later. This is recently transpired. And imagine what must be going through the apostles' mind as they hear the high priest say, wanna make us responsible. They're thinking, you are responsible. And here's what we know about Peter. If he's thinking it, he's probably gonna say it. Look at verse 29. Peter and the apostles replied, we must obey God rather than any human authority. The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead after, here it is, after you killed him by hanging him on a cross. He's gonna go ahead and say what he's thinking. Verse 31, then God put him in the place of honor at his right hand as prince and savior. He did this so people of Israel would repent of their sins and be forgiven. We are witnesses of these things. And so is the Holy Spirit who is given by God to those who obey him. Did you hear it? Did you hear it? Because this is important. We are, we're witnesses. Peter's going, hey guys, this isn't hearsay for us. It's not just about believing something for them because of course they believe it, but we, we saw it. We've seen Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, and we're gonna tell everyone about it and we're gonna let them know that a relationship with God is possible because of Jesus, because Jesus is the one who matters. This is the movement. This is the message of the church, a church that matters. And where does Peter get this kind of boldness? Like he had prayed for it, right? He had prayed for boldness and then here he is standing before them he prays for boldness and then he said something else that I think is really important. He said, uh, we must obey God. That's what he said to him, we must obey God. Verse 33, when they heard this, the high council was furious and they decided to kill him. Now I know that might come across as a little harsh. You might not be able to get your mind around that. Really, just for talking back, you're gonna go ahead and kill him. But think about what the, the religious leaders of the day are thinking. I mean, they'd already killed Jesus. So why not go ahead and kill these guys? Maybe if we kill these guys, it stops the whole thing. 
the whole movement. Verse 34, but one member, a Pharisee, which is another of the religious leaders of the day, uh, named Gamaliel, who's an expert in religious law and respected by all the people. He stood up and he ordered that the men, the apostles, be sent outside the council chamber, chamber for a while. So again, if you can put yourself into the story just to think about it, it's really very interesting. Hey, you guys gonna head out and uh, we're gonna chat about you. So y'all go wait over there somewhere outside of the room. We're gonna talk about you. And yes, we will be discussing whether or not to kill you. Like imagine what that's like in this moment. Verse 35, and then he said to his colleagues, men of Israel, take care what you are planning to do to these men. Some time ago, there was that fellow, Thutis, who pretended to be someone great. About 400 others joined him, but he was killed and all of his followers went their various ways. The whole, look what he says, the whole movement came to nothing. Now we actually don't know much about Thutis, but evidently he was able to get some people to sign up for whatever he was trying to stir up. And we know from Jewish history that many so-called revolts rose up against the Romans during the time that Jesus was walking the planet. But then he says this in verse 37, after him, after Thutis, at the time of the census, there was Judas of Galilee and he got people to follow him and he was killed too. And all of his followers scattered. Now we know a little bit more about Judas the Galilean. He was the ringleader of the zealots. The zealots, uh, they didn't care for Rome in any way, shape or form. And they rose up and they said, you know, we're not gonna pay these taxes that you're putting on us because of this new census stuff. And a lot of people were like, yeah, we're with Judas the Galilean. We'll be zealot. It's a side note, but it's also kind of interesting. Simon the zealot was one of Jesus' apostles. As was Matthew the tax collector two guys that were formerly known by their name for something other than being a follower of Jesus. It's pretty cool that they're a part of this whole thing because Jesus is the only one that can take natural born enemies and make them a part of the same family, part of the same movement, part of a church that matters. Did you know when you gather here at Fellowship Greenville, if this is your place, there's thousands of people here I wanna let you in on a little something. A lot of them have a lot of opinions and thoughts about a lot of things that are different than yours. And that's the reason it's so important to keep the main thing the main thing, to stand up on a regular basis and remind all of us that Jesus is the one who matters. Because when you don't regularly come back to the fact that Jesus is the one who matters, then we run off the rails and make other things that don't matter the thing that matters the most. Gamaliel says, we didn't get involved when Rome wanted to raise taxes. Obviously we weren't for it. None of the Jewish people were for it, but then the zealots rose up, but we didn't get involved and the whole situation was solved by other people and the religious leaders of the day got out of it unscathed. Verse 38, so he says, my advice is leave these men alone and let them go. If they're planning and doing these things merely on their own, it'll soon be overthrown. But if it is from God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You may even find yourself fighting against God. You see, Roman leadership in the day was against 
any movement that would rise up against their authority. Didn't matter what it was, they wanted to keep power. If it's not a God thing, it's gonna be squashed by Rome and we don't have to squash it and have anybody hating on us because everybody's digging everything they're talking about and doing right now. Oh yeah, and the other possibility, it's a God thing. And if it's a God thing, nothing's gonna stop it, not even killing them. And he had no idea when he said what he says right here, how right he was. Verse 40, the others accepted his advice. They called in the apostles. And while they didn't kill him, they had him flogged. Now, I don't know if you're like me, but I still very vividly remember sitting in the movie theater and watching The Passion of the Christ years ago. And in that moment, the reality of being flogged was brought to life to me. And I know a lot of you have seen that as well. So I don't wanna rush past it. I know it's uncomfortable. But the apostles watched as their friends were scarred for life. and waited their turn. Like this wasn't done in like 10 minutes. This is gonna take the better part of a day, yeah? And they walk away with mutilated bodies, a constant reminder for the rest of their days. Every time they took their shirt off. And I've wondered just reading and being reminded, I've wondered if the message of Jesus would have moved past the first century if that was me. Then they ordered him, it says, they ordered him never again to speak in the name of Jesus. <laughs> and they let him go. Verse 41. The apostles left the high council rejoicing that God had counted them worthy to suffer disgrace for the name of Jesus. Oh, verse 42. <laughs> and every day in the temple and from house to house, they continued to teach and preach this message. Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the one who mattered to the early church. And as a result, the church mattered. The apostles' mindset was this mindset of Jesus gave his life for me, I will give anything for him. I've seen him. He's alive. Everything he said is true. So yeah, I'll give up the skin on my back. I'll die for him, and they did. They would. This isn't the end of their suffering. Praying for boldness because they needed boldness. According to church history, Matthew was martyred by someone killing him with a sword. Mark was dragged to death in the streets of Alexandria. Luke, who wrote these words, was hanged in Greece. 
John was boiled in a cauldron of oil and then sent off to an island isolation. Peter was crucified upside down in Rome. James was beheaded in Jerusalem. Philip was hanged. The other James was beaten to death, as was Bartholomew. Thomas was run through with a lance. Jude was killed by an executioner's arrows. Matthias, he was stoned and then beheaded. And I read through that not for shock. That's just, that's history. The history of people who said, Jesus is the one who matters, I've seen him. And I'm gonna take his message with me everywhere that I go and I know that there will be opposition to that. But it does make me think about us and our cultural climate and our context to evaluate, do I live so paralyzed by fear that something negative might happen, that someone might think negatively about me because I love Jesus and I follow Jesus? That's the reality of where some of you are. So on one hand, we flatter ourselves if we think we know anything of the persecution of the early church. Are much of the church across the globe today, by the way. And on the other hand, we're mistaken if we think we're immune to being opposed for loving and following Jesus. Listen closely, even when you do so with grace. You can lead with grace and still be ostracized. You can lead with grace about Jesus and people still cut you out. You can lead with grace about Jesus and not get the promotion because you follow Jesus. You can lead with grace and not get the raise because you follow Jesus. You can lead with grace. Honey, I wanna tell you something, Caroline. You can lead with grace and at school not get the grade because you follow Jesus. What's our thing? that keeps us from lovingly, kindly, graciously living a life that says Jesus is the one who matters. Are you praying for boldness? That's a question I've asked myself this week. Am I praying for boldness? A boldness in regards to sharing and living a life that honors the one who matters. Not boldness about things that aren't the main thing. Some of you might have to listen to the Holy Spirit in this moment because the Holy Spirit might be saying to you, you're actually unkind and ungracious and you're calling that boldness. Some of you might need to listen to the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit might be saying to you this morning is you are bold about things that Jesus never actually called you to be bold about. I said it, you'll hear me say it again. If I could do any one thing for the evangelical church of the West, it would be take everybody on a plane somewhere else in the world to see the church. I've had the opportunity to do that on a multitude of occasions and every time I come back going, wow. Such boldness. Years ago, I was in Ukraine this was back at a time when it was easy for the surrounding countries that would be very hard to get into to talk about Jesus. Those folks could get out of those countries and they could get to, the Ukraine, get to Ukraine and we could talk about Jesus. 
I'm pastors and two things stood out to me about my first trip. One, we were meeting and it was a, it was a government building there in Ukraine. And we met in the basement and uh, the pastor got up that night and there were probably 50 of us in the room. And the pastor got up that night and said, hey, one of the, one of the rules here for us is we can't sing too loudly because if we disturb the peace in any way, they'll shut our church down. And they didn't have a worship team. They didn't have any of this stuff. It was none of this. They put up a video and some Hillsong song came up and there's the little ball that bounces above the words so everybody knows when they're supposed to sing. And I sat in the back of that room and then pretty quickly after that, we were all standing in that room and what started off as a whisper was boldly being proclaimed by the end of that song and the next song and the next song. The second thing that stands out to me about that trip was one of the pastors from one of the countries, a country where if they knew he was a follower of Jesus, he would be in jail. He led everybody in communion took the Lord's Supper together and I sat in the back as he encouraged all of those pastors, just like Jesus, I wanna encourage you to lay down your life for your sheep. And I wept in the back because I understood in that moment that that wasn't something they were just theologically assenting to. This is how they live the everydayness of their life that Jesus is the one who matters. And I shared stories with them, they would tell me about the underground meetings that they have and how they get to those underground church meetings and they never travel together as a family and we send our kids off first. What? Yep, kids go first. 30 minutes later, the wife will go out and make her way. 30 minutes later, the husband will get out and make his way. And in the midst of their persecution and suffering, I heard them pray for boldness, boldness to make much of Jesus. And so, yeah, listen, practically with all that we've talked about sitting at the forefront in the background, we regularly articulate here at Fellowship Greenville our mission as a local church. And it is, if you're newer with us, we know a lot of people have come in the summer, it is this. Fellowship Greenville exists to reintroduce people to Jesus and the life that he offers. That's what we're about unapologetically. Jesus is the one who matters to us. We wanna make much of Jesus. That's what we're about as a church family and unpacking that mission statement is another sermon series for another time. But that's what we're about in this city, in this country, in this region. But I reminded us of it today because I want to point out of this once again, Jesus is the one who matters and we believe because we make him and him alone the main thing that we are a church that matters in this geography and beyond. Not because we're great, Jesus is great, we make much of Jesus, Jesus uses us however he sees fit. That's what it means to be on mission with him as a church. And we've talked about this, our vision to grow into a community of grace, passionately pursuing life and mission with Jesus. And again, the Lord has been kind. And we see the evidence of this being the type of church that we are day in and day out and not perfect by any means, but growing in grace and walking with Jesus and being on mission with him. And so yes, unapologetically, just so you know, if you're joining up with us right now, there's a whole lot of things going on. I talked about some of it at the beginning. 
but we are entering into a season as a church family where we're joining God where he is working. We believe that, where he's leading. And we do wanna be intentional about planting more churches that have the same DNA that, are, that we're committed to here at Fellowship Greenville. We wanna multiply this kind of church, this kind of ministry. And because of our intentionality of developing the Upstate Church Collective in partnership with Summit Church over the last couple of years, we do believe that we have a great pathway for autonomous churches to be planted and revitalized. Our vision as we continue to move forward would best be stated this way, we're multiplying communities of grace and truth passionately pursuing life and mission with Jesus in collaboration with the Upstate Church Collective. Why am I putting all of that in front of you today as we conclude this series and so many new people are joining us? Because I just wanna remind you once again, I've said it before, I'll say it again. What we're doing is in regards to multiplying is not just something some people are doing over here. It's what we're about. And this is happening and gonna continue to happen, Lord willing. We briefly touched on it, I'll close with it today, through UCC, Redemption Life Fellowship had their vision night two weeks ago. They've started meeting every Sunday morning with their core team. They're gonna officially launch on September the 17th. Here's a few pictures from our vision night two weeks ago, 150 people packed in. Some from Summit and some from Fellowship and some from the church that was that voted to close their doors that we may launch something new. There are multiple community groups launching in Woodruff, South Carolina this fall with an eye towards planting a church in Woodruff through UCC in 2024. That's underway. Obviously, Fellowship Greenville has grown and the Lord has provided a space at Adams Mill for us to expand our ministry. That's what we're doing. This ministry down the road six miles. In our immediate circle of influence, because the circle continues to grow. Not only that, our team is growing. Not only has our next gen team grown, which you hear, heard about two weeks ago, but our team that gives their time and energy to us living on mission as a church has grown. Just two weeks ago now, we welcomed uh, John Powell onto our team as our expansion pastor. And John grew up here at Fellowship Greenville. He's been on a staff at a church in Louisville for the last 20 years, but he's now joined us here as expansion pastor. And you go, expansion pastor? Yeah, that's a part of equipping and mobilizing us to live on mission, being a part of the team that will multiply our ministry into other places across the upstate and beyond. And the Lord in his kindness and grace is providing for us to be what we believe he is about and calling us to be about. On the first Sunday that we started this series back in May, and, I, and actually the week before, Charlie and I both referenced the words of Jesus in Matthew 16 that I'll conclude with. I will build my church and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. Jesus Christ. And in God's sovereignty and no doubt ability to look down the corridors of time, he knew that was you. Isn't that wild? 
He knew us. He knew us. us. We are here, the church, this local church, because of the bold faithfulness of those who have gone before us, living and proclaiming Jesus is the one who matters. And so if you're around and you're thinking about joining up with us, I just want no punches. I'm not doing a rope-a-dope. I'm not saying something and pulling something else. I need you to know, Fellowship Greenville is committed to proclaiming and living and multiplying Jesus is the one who matters. And so if you wanna join in on that, we'd love to have you because there is nothing greater that we could give our lives to that in the decades to come, other people would go, oh yeah, there was this group of people. They had a pretty good thing going down there on Highway 14, but they didn't keep it for themselves. They didn't tell everybody, we're closed, sorry, no more room. It's pretty good here, but we got nothing. They walked in step with the Spirit, they joined God where he was working, and they intentionally began to multiply ministry that makes much of Jesus in the gospel. I'm so thankful that so many of you are a part of that with us, and I'm praying that even more of you would join us. Father God, for this family of believers, I thank you. And even for those here today who may not know you, may not have a relationship with you. I'm thankful they were here today on purpose, your purpose. That if they've got questions about what it means to follow you and be a part of your church with all its complexities and all of its mistakes, with all of its imperfectness, yet perfect in you. Then add them to our number, Lord. May Fellowship Greenville be known for a place that is bold, but bold about the right thing. And that is you, Jesus. May people, as they interact with us, as they walk into these doors, as we interact with them where we work, live, play, kids go to school, may they observe and see that there's something different about how we're living and doing life. And the difference is you, Jesus, that you are the one who matters. And we will thank you for it. In Jesus' sweet name we pray, amen.